This episode of Investing Compass is brought to you by Milford. Milford's talented and globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong, long-term returns while managing downside risks. They also invest in the same funds as their clients. Learn more and see the Milford Fund's product disclosure statements and target market determinations at milfordasset.com.au. Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. Okay, so two things. Shawnee, number one, is upset at me, but I'll get to that in one second. But she also wants me to plug the conference. Please do. Once again, she's very proud, and she should be, for the agenda she arranged. So it's two days, October 11th and 12th. Mm-hmm. 11th is just a digital day, so you can watch that from the comfort of your own home. If you're not in New South Wales, you can also watch the 12th from the comfort of your own home. But also you can join us in Sydney, if you're here, the ICC, and come see the great lineup that Shani put together. And you can ask her about why she's mad at me. I'm not sure why I'm mad at you. I'd like to hear this, to be honest. Shani wrote an article <laughs> and she put a Harry Potter reference into it. I did. She And you kind of forced it in there, to be completely fair. <laughs> she talked about the cloak of invisibility. Yeah. And it was describing a lack of corporate transparency from Japanese <laughs> companies. And because nobody understood what the cloak of invisibility meant, right afterwards, she wrote that, a lack of transparency yeah. from Japanese companies. So I edited it out, not even knowing it was from Harry Potter. That's well, a bit rude. And In then itself. she got very upset. Yeah. So anyway, come talk. I also have access to the uploader where we upload articles. So I'm just going to add it back in. Mark's going on leave in a couple of days, so look out for that. <laughs> well, there we go. That doesn't get the high. Maybe if the Harry Potter fans mm. start reading your article, think about the number of hits you'll get. I know. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about something different than Harry Potter, though. Let's hear it. We're going to talk about performance. And that's normally something that we steer clear of at Investing Compass. Yeah, but we're trying something new today. But we are going to talk about performance in the context of expected returns. And I guess the expectations that investors have for returns, and we're going to compare that to what they actually receive. I think this is like very much more in our wheelhouse. Yeah, no, exactly. So the premise of this is that headline returns are never what investors actually get. And so we're going to look at some of the components that actually detract from that return that an investor receives. All right. And we've both talked to a lot of investors. We both consume a lot of investing commentary. And when investors and investing commentators talk about returns, one number is more likely than not to pop out. And it's long been conventional wisdom that equity markets will return 10% per annum to investors over the long run. So as we said, what we're going to do today is we're going to deconstruct that return. And deconstructing a return means that we need a base case to start out with. And As Shawnee just mentioned, we're going to pick that base case of 10%. And to be clear, we pick that return not because we think that's going to be the return that people get going forward. It's just, as Shawnee mentioned, that we hear that all the time as a return from the share market. All right. So our base case is 100K, which is the initial investment, and $1,000 additional investments every month in so in 20 years, with the returns reinvested, I would have $1,391,009. And of course, this scenario completely ignores all the realities of investing. 
the costs of investing and taxes, for example. So these factors need to be taken into account because what matters is how much money ends up in an investor's account. Exactly right, Mark. So we're going to try to account for that today. Understanding the holistic return ensures that you have more chance of reaching your financial goals. It also makes it more likely that an, invest- that an investor will pay attention to minimizing taxes and fees. Okay. So we're going to go through each of these variables. And we focused on everyone's favorite asset class, which is Aussie equities. Exactly. So um, this is on Aussie equities, but you can apply this exercise for any investments, and we do encourage you to do that. Okay. So the first consideration is brokerage. And of course, brokerage is one of those costs that will completely depend on the provider that you use and sometimes just the amount that you are actually trading. And we're going to go with the most popular broker in Australia, which is Comsec. And it's the one, obviously, that because it's the most popular, that you're most likely to be using. So we're making additional investments of $1,000 a month, and Comsec charges $5 for investments up to $1,000 in Aussie-listed assets. So the impact over the lifetime of the investment is $3,592. And this, of course, is the best case scenario. We know that investors trade a lot more and it's likely that they'll buy and sell in that 20-year period. That's right, Chani. So that seems like a pretty small amount compared to your total. So remember, that's $1,391,000. So $3,500 is just a drop in the ocean. But the point is that it adds up. We've been quite vocal that the best way to be unsuccessful as an investor is to trade frequently. So more than anything, we want to get the point across that for most investors, the best way to improve your results is to look at how much you trade and then trade less. And we're just getting started, Mark. So we're going to go for management fees next. If you're invested in direct equities, you can skip this part. But if your exposure to Australian equities in your portfolio is through an ETF, management fees will detract from your total return. So Morningstar Manager Research Analyst choice for Aussie equity exposure is the VanEck Australian Equal Weight ETF that has the ticker symbol MVW and it gets a silver medalist rating. So we've spoken about this ETF before in our Build a Portfolio with Three Trades episodes. This episode contains our analyst rationale for why this is their choice for Aussie equity exposure. But today we're focusing on how it will impact your return. So the investment management fee for MVW is 0.35%. Over 20 years, your total return takes a substantial hit. The effective fees is $76,473, and that drops the balance of your portfolio down to $1,310,945. And it should be noted that 0.35% is rather cheap for a managed product. You could be paying much higher fees. While we're on the topic of trading expenses, we've also got the buy-sell spread. And that's coming in at a whopping $131. (laughs) We're really counting our pennies, Mark. Well, that's how the rich stay rich, Sean. Then we've got the least favorite of the lot, which is tax. Uh, It's your favorite, though. You're supposed to know me a little bit better than that, Mark. But this episode and the example that we're running through is generalizing the circumstances of an investment to demonstrate how the headline return is not what you will receive. And of course, your circumstances will be different to the example and will result in a different outcome. And this is because investing is deeply personal and based on your circumstances, including tax. And in the 20 years that you've held this investment is likely that your tax bracket has changed. 
Situation will also be different if you held this investment in a different tax environment, such as a trust. But for this scenario, we're going to assume the tax rate on a median income, so that would be 32.5% plus 2% Medicare levy, and an average dividend yield of 4.17%, and that's the average yield of the ASX according to S&P Dow Jones. So tax on income paid over the course of this investment would be $180,000. Well, 180,443. Sean is very specific. Counting our pennies. Exactly. If if we said 131 (laughs) earlier, I can't just generalize, right? And this, of course, is not paid from your investment, but it's paid separately when you file your taxes. And this is an issue that has caught many new investors off guard. However, this is a gross number. Investors receive a little respite from franking credits. And we'll get to capital gains tax in a minute. So this is obviously just one component of tax. And that is the perfect introduction to our next section. Um, So we've talked a lot about costs, but here's why we get something back. Franking credits are tax rebates that are given to investors in Australian companies. The rebate is to remove the double taxation of dividends by providing a credit for tax already paid by the company. So franking credits, they do prove to be a pretty big contributor to returns. And the ATO provides the monthly average franking rebate yield on the S&P Dow Jones All Ordinaries Index. So between 2018 and 2022, the monthly average was 1.25%. And this will vary for specific investors depending upon the individual shares in a portfolio, but it's useful to look at the overall index. So over the course of 20 years, this will boost returns by 1.25% a year, or $149,352. Since this credit occurs outside of an investment account, we're just going to assume that this is not reinvested and have simply added the benefit from each year over that 20-year period. All right. So inflation is next, and that's everyone's favorite topic at the moment. Milton Friedman famously said that inflation is taxation without legislation. And inflation is the silent thief of returns. Inflation is a real cost to investors since the whole point of investing is to grow a portfolio to pay for things in the future. The impact over 20 years is almost halving your growth. A portfolio of $1,387,417 in 2043 would have the value of 768179 in today's dollars, and that's assuming a 3% per annum inflation rate. And for those that can't do the math really quickly in your head, that is $619,238 less than what you would have expected. And it's a reminder that what matters to investors is the real return or the return that is made in excess of inflation. Simply put, a return of 10% in an environment with 5% inflation is not the same as a 10% return with 1% inflation. We've given you a little respite, but we're driving headfirst into tax again, and this time it's capital gains tax. Capital gains tax occurs upon the sale of an asset that has appreciated in value. For direct assets, this would be when you decide to sell your asset. If you're invested through funds, ETFs, or other collective investment vehicles, CGT isn't as clear. For collective investment vehicles such as managed funds and ETFs, there will be changes to the holdings over time. For passive investments, this might be to ensure that the fund is still tracking the index and, of course, has the same holdings. For example, if we're looking at the ASX 200 and the 200th stock changes due to a change in market capitalization, the fund must buy the new stock and sell the share that is no longer in the index. So it would mean that 
the investors in the fund may have capital gains distributed to them if the share that is sold has appreciated in value. And for active investments, it would be a similar process if the manager decides to make a change or if the assets have fallen out of the mandated ranges for the fund. For example, Australian equities may make up 50% of a fund. The Aussie market performs extremely well and now makes up 70% of the fund. The exposure has to be reduced and the appreciated assets must be sold. This is the same with equal weighted funds like MVW that must be rebalanced to ensure that the assets are kept equal weighted. And if these were direct assets, so direct shares that you've purchased, for example, the CGT obligation would be relatively straightforward. In the scenario in this article, Shani has contributed $100,000 and $1,000 of additional investments every month for 20 years. This means that her capital base is $340,000. So the investment, of course, has appreciated to $1,387,000. So the capital gain would be applied to the gain in the overall portfolio, which is $1,047,000. And we've held the investments for more than 12 months, so we've received a 50% discount. Assuming the highest marginal tax rate, the tax obligation would be $246,142. And this is just one benefit of long holding periods. The most obvious way to mitigate the impact of capital gains taxes is to hold the asset in a more favorable tax environment, superannuation. So super has a capital gains rate of 15% in the accumulation phase, and it is 0%, which is hard to beat, in retirement. Want to give your portfolio an offensive and defensive strategy? Check out the award-winning Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund. Utilizing the skills of Milford's experienced investment team, The Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund has been focusing on delivering a smoother journey for investors for over half a decade. With an emphasis on managing risk and generating absolute returns, this lower volatility equity fund can play a key role in a diversified portfolio. The fund strives for long-term capital growth while mitigating the ups and downs typically experienced when investing in share markets. Find the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund, ticker symbol MFOA, on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination also found at milfordasset.com.au. We're on to the last main consideration. And this is one that we've spoken about quite a few times, and it is behavioral. And I know many people just kind of skip this part because they assume that it would never apply to them. All right. I'm going to tell you a story, Mark. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) It's quite embarrassing, actually. So when I first purchased a car, so my first car, um, I was on a very tight budget because I was a student um, and I didn't have much spare cash. And I had to make sure I could afford all the running costs, the rego, all of those extra expenses. And um, I run it past my dad. And my dad said, make sure that you include the cost of any traffic or speeding fines. Yeah. I, I mean, I do find it hard to believe that you would ever break the law. Well, yeah, my thoughts exactly. But of course, within three months, I had a red light camera ticket, which um, I am, of course, particularly embarrassed about. Um, but that, of course, blew my budget before I had even gotten up and running properly. You were probably going somewhere important and needed to get there quickly. <laughs> I wasn't. Okay. Well. <laughs> I was going home. So not somewhere no, important. No. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a, there's a little insight into Shawnee's teenage years. 
And we can see how it's easy to think that we'll never commit the acts that everyone else does and that we can forego all of these extra costs. And you're more than likely as an investor to act irrationally at some point in time over a 20-year period. And there's going to be multiple market cycles and a lot of volatility that you'll have to grin and bear. And behavioral risks reflect our tendency as humans to act emotionally during volatility. We are driven by fear and greed, which is a formula for buying at the top of the market and selling at the bottom. Both individual and professional investors create elaborate models and theories designed to dictate when and why to buy or sell a security. And despite these models, there's still a high probability that you'll panic when the market is going down and fear missing out on profits when it keeps climbing. These actions have been shown to be to the detriment of returns that an investor achieves. And we've spoken a lot about the behavior gap on Investing Compass before. It is the gap between an investment return and the return an investor gets in the same time period. Constantly switching between investments and assets due to emotional responses has been proven to reduce returns for the majority of investors. And it's difficult to say when or if you would switch out of your investments. The study has shown that the average investor earned 1.7% less than the total returns that their fund investments generated over the same period. This gap between the returns investors actually experience and reported total returns can be attributed to a few different things, cash flow timing, costs, and tax efficacy. All right, so for the average investor, this means that through an ETF or fund, investor behavior reduces the balance by $290,101. For direct equities, it is $308,655. And remember, this poor behavior would result in higher transaction costs and more taxes as well. And that higher amount that Shani just mentioned for direct equities is due to a reduced balance from management fees that, of course, you pay in ETFs and funds. And once again, more than anything else, this is just a reminder that there are all sorts of reasons that cause poor investor behavior, but they all manifest in one action, trading. If you trade less, you will have less of a behavioral impact on your returns. And this is complicated because nobody is deliberately trying to minimize their returns. Each investor trade that is made seems like a good idea at the time. But the best way to combat this is to trade less, do less with your portfolio. So there are many variables here that can alter the outcomes that you receive. The purpose of this exercise was to understand the different components of a total return. And we can clearly see that a 10% headline return is not the real return that investors will receive. This is particularly important to factor in when you're understanding how much you need to achieve your goals. Taking the headline rate of return required to achieve your goal could result in a shortfall. In this case, the total nominal return of 10%, which does not include the impact of inflation, was reduced to 2.9% on a real or inflation-adjusted basis. If we look at the dollar amount, we see a reduction from $1,391,009 to $819,426, which doesn't include the reduction of purchasing power for the portfolio. And that is a dramatic difference. And the purpose of this exercise was to understand the different components of a total return, specifically the elements that detract from the returns we often read about and what shows up in our brokerage accounts. We can clearly see that a 10% headline return is not the real return that investors will receive. This is particularly important to factor in when you are understanding how much you need to achieve your goals. 
taking the headline rate of return required to achieve your goal could result in a shortfall. And this should be a wake-up call for investors. Minimizing fees, taxes, and transaction costs all make a difference. Limiting poor behavior and resisting the urge to churn a portfolio by constantly chasing the latest fads will make a difference. Headline returns are useful. The return that is actually achieved is what matters. All right. So that is a story from Shawnee's teenage years. Mm -hmm. And just so everyone's aware, Shawnee does not currently own a car. So if you're out there on the roads, you, <laughs> you don't have to worry about me. You don't have to worry about somebody blowing through a red light. So no. that's good news. But you can come talk to her about her driving mishaps at our conference on <laughs> October 12th in Sydney at the ICC. Do you know what's actually funny? We had the same first car. I mean, that that is true. I think mine was actually older than yours, even though. Which is amazing, since <laughs> I had one of those Flintstone cars where you have to run on the ground yeah. to get the thing to go. <laughs> but it was the same make and model. I know. Crazy stuff. I know. All right. Thank you guys very much for listening. This episode of Investing Compass is brought to you by Milford. Milford's talented and globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong, long-term returns while managing downside risks. They also invest in the same funds as their clients. Learn more and see the Milford Fund's product disclosure statements and target market determinations at milfordasset.com.au. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.